Immigrants who land in multiple countries find themselves absorbing the foods of their journey. They also become steeped in gratitude. Olia Hercules expresses her journey in home food. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Olia Hercules. She's a storyteller, cookbook author, cook, and cooking teacher. She's also an activist. Her new cookbook is Home Food. Welcome, Olia. Thank you so much for having me. So I am very, very interested in how you made the transition from being a journalist to food. I became obsessed with cooking in my early 20s. And, you know, I loved my job as a journalist, but I just kept cooking, 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 cooking. And then there came a point in 2008 I think 2007, even when the financial crisis hit the world and London and uh, loads of people at my work at Screen International magazine, a film industry magazine, have been laid off. And I kind of felt that maybe my turn was coming and I just took a leap. I just thought, why don't I? I hope I don't have much to lose. I'm not making loads of money. I'm just a junior reporter. (laughs) Why don't I just completely change my life and turn my hobby, my obsession into my profession? And then maybe, you know, maybe that's the key to kind of happy, having a, a really happy life, you know, and, and even if it's going to be really hard and I was prepared for it to be to be hard because I didn't know where I'd end up. You know, I don't think that I even dreamt of becoming a cookbook author. I just wanted to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I left my job and, um, before they laid me off and my parents at the time were still able to help me out and they, um, yeah, they helped me get onto this cookery course, Leith's, uh, School of Food and Wine in London. And I did an intense year training and started cooking professionally. And so did you feel that you made the right decision? Absolutely. I've never, (laughs) ever, ever regretted that decision. So you have lived in many places. And I think that obviously it had to have affected your food when you were moving around. And how was it that you experienced the food of all the different places? Did you wind up cooking with people? I mean, sometimes you were a kid, so you might not have been cooking how did that sort of develop so apart from Ukraine and the UK I lived in another two countries I actually emigrated Ukraine when I was 12 years old we went to live in Cyprus an island kind of off the coast in the Mediterranean and that food was incredible you know very fresh vegetables loads of seafood which I loved but didn't necessarily have a lot in Ukraine 
and a lot of my mom's Ukrainian cooking as well. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I really was not interested in cooking at all, at all. Okay. I loved eating, but cooking wasn't for me. And my dad, who's actually also an incredible cook, my mom is amazing. My dad is great too. And he always saw value in cooking, I think, for anyone's personal development. So he kind of insisted and kind of nudged me towards cooking with my mom every Sunday. But I just kept on burning things you know my my head wasn't there I was a teenager I just wanted to go out and you know do (laughs) teenage teenage things and then after a while my mom kind of just gave up and said okay if your heart is not in it it's okay you don't have to do it and I and I just oh thank god I don't have to do that anymore and then actually when I went to university in the UK I I studied Italian language um, and international relations and I spent a year abroad I spent a year in Italy uh, as an exchange kind of program and that's when I saw my peers my my friends but people that lived in the same uh, student residence you know halls as me cook with such effective kind of uh, passion they they were just so amazing and not necessarily making anything too complicated you know it could be something as easy as as simple as aglio olio peperoncino you know a little bit of oil some garlic spaghetti a little bit of chili flakes but they did it with such gusto you know I just thought oh my gosh they this is it they just made me see how fantastic cooking can be how joyful it can be that actually you don't have to do it alone you can do it with other people in the same room you know which we did a lot together and that's when I thought, okay, I really, really want to give this a go. Um, uh-huh. And it made me connect with my Ukrainian family, actually, with with memories from Ukraine as well. For example, there were quite a lot of Italians that came from the south of Italy. There was, for example, a guy called Pepe, whose parents were butchers. And Pepe would get these incredible boxes from his family, from his mom and dad, full of different cuts of meat, like a special sugo della mamma, you know, like a, a, a pasta sauce that his uh-huh. mom would cook and put in a jar, vegetables, you know, all of these things. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is exactly what my mom used to do for my brother. I have a brother who's eight years older than me. And, uh, you know, in a small town in the south of Ukraine, and my brother went to university in Odessa in this port city by the Black Sea. And my mom did exactly the same thing. She would cook a whole duck, I remember, and and pack homegrown vegetables and, uh, I don't know, other preserves. She'd pack it into a box, go to the to our local bus stop. That's how you did it back in the day. Find a random stranger who's going on the bus to Odessa, pay them a little bit of money to take the box. My brother would meet it on the other side and the, <laughs> take the box eat the duck in one sitting whilst playing duck hunt on nintendo or something (laughs) instead of studying and um, yeah and i just kind of made this connection between my life between the lives of fellow italian students and it, it made me feel closer to my family and also closer to this new culture that i was discovering it made me realize how similar we were Mm-hmm. Uh, in how we uh yeah how how our families were how caring our parents were how our student lives were you know it made me kind of integrate so much easier both into the italian kind of world that i was living in 
and later on when I started cooking in the UK that was also kind of a gateway into some friendships and relationships that are made with British people in in the, in the UK as well yeah cooking just does that doesn't it it's amazing <laughs> it really does and then you get to share the fruits of your efforts and that's always nice too <laughs> and exchange stories yeah it's a lot more than just food than just filling your belly isn't isn't that's, it it's, that's uh, right yes and it's also true that you see so many similarities i mean they're always new things so it's not exactly the same but there's there are things that are the same and that makes you feel connected. It's like, oh, you do this too or whatever. You know, I think that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I, and do you, do you have children? I do. Yeah. I have a 10 year old boy and a two, two year old boy. And I'm also looking after my 14 year old niece who came from Ukraine. So she's living, she's been living with us since April. So I've got a full house at the moment. And, and do you cook <laughs> with them? Yes, I do. I yes. do. I love that. I love cooking with children. And now I cook with my grandchildren. And that's also really special because it gives you some special time with them and then they can, uh, they can help set the table and do all of those things. It's, I think it's delightful. It's one of the best ways to bond. Yeah. Yes, yes it is because you're creating something real. I mean, as much as fun as it is to do art projects and do all of mm. those things, you don't eat it. You don't you know, you just put it up on the wall or the refrigerator or whatever, but this is something that you eat, you know, it's just, just a terrific thing. And that is so sensory as well. So your brain is actually getting so much stimulation. And if you're a little kid, you're not just getting that love and intention from your grandmother, or your mom, but also all of the smells and visuals and textural stuff that's going on. It kind of just, you know, makes your neurons and your brain why in a certain way and I believe later in life for example you smell something and it does really transport you back into that safe place um, and makes you feel really really good yes yes really exciting so I want to talk to you about your book home food and really think that you have created sort of a mishmash, and I say that in a good way, of foods that are traditional, but then also you've pulled from different traditions and created different things where it's not it's not a standard traditional thing. They're your things. And I, I really, really like that. Um, and I think that your experience has been so broad that uh, it also makes the food very special and not something that you've seen before. And I like that a lot. Also, I like your stories. So how did you decide how much of a storyteller you were? How, how did you learn that? Oh, uh, I started cooking professionally. And then when my first cookbook kind of came about Mamushka in 2014, I started, 2015, I started writing it. I just realized that recipes and food in general mean so much more to me. They're kind of like portals into 
personal histories and obviously I started with my own and actually you know I've kind of taken it taken it as a as a given as a very kind of normal thing so I never really thought or analyzed it but my family are amazing storytellers just like a lot of Ukrainians are I think oral tradition is extremely important to us so storytelling uh you know every summer we would get together my mom is one of six children so we have a really big extended family so about 30 of us would collect from you know all corners of Ukraine and abroad and would get together and we'd um, sit along this long table and there'd be a lot of food and drink and we'd sit and we'd um, and we'd share you know where we would share stories and and those stories would be repeated year after year so actually some of them have embedded in my head in such a way that I almost think of them as movies you know I, it's <laughs> yeah. almost like a false memory of my own that's how amazing my family were storytellers the, the the stories were so colorful and you know and emotional you know I, I would often see all of the adults either crying or laughing you know they were they were almost like therapy sounds not quite the right word but it would they they were really therapeutic gatherings in mm -hmm. that way in that mm -hmm. sense and food did feature a lot as well obviously we were eating and drinking at the same time as telling those stories but also within the stories there always be some food featured and when I started writing my first cookbook I realized oh my gosh like you can find a recipe for borscht or vareniki online so easily now you know in this new age mm -hmm. but what I was interested in were those little histories that those dishes contained yes and it's also I I have memories of my my grandmother. My grandmother was from Palermo and she moved to the US when she was about 18. And um uh I have memories of, you know, those Sunday afternoon dinners that went on for hours and hours and huge parties that there was a large alien community in New Orleans maybe 90,000 to 100,000 people emigrated from Sicily in a 30-year period. It was really huge. Mm -hmm. And it affected New Orleans a lot because 100,000 people coming from the same place to your city, especially in the beginning of the 20th century when the city wasn't even as big as it is now, it was it was a, a big thing. And um, I would go to those parties and uh remember of course there was food everywhere and <laughs> you know everybody's pinching your cheeks when you're a child i even had i even had a little guard that i made out of cardboard that i used to wear to, to try to protect myself <laughs> and <It's> amazing <laughs> but the food and the stories and just everybody together, you know, it was really wonderful. But at my grandmother's house, um, you know, I would cook with her. And I, I remember the act of cooking with her as a child. And I think that, you know, then with my mother, the food changed because my mother was born in the U.S. And so the food is different. 
and even it was the same food that my grandmother made. It didn't taste the same when my mother made it. And she changed it because of her influences in the U.S. and stuff. And I know my food is the same way. It's different. And so I, I know st- the food, the stories are in the food. It's just so connected. There's no way to separate them. And no. I I love that you put the stories in and even remembering I have to serve this on this dish because that's the way they did it. You know, this is my grandmother's platter or whatever. And, <laughs> and that becomes part of it. <laughs> yeah. And I totally um, get that. It can have chips in it, cracks in it. It doesn't matter. It was hers, you know, and yeah. I love that. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the comment that you make in, in your book, Uh, this will prove to you that I really read it is that you talked about lawns being a waste of space. (laughs) And I feel exactly like that. It's like lawns and people, people love their lawns. That's just like an obsession to have this beautiful lawn and not have crabgrass or this other kind of stuff in your lawn. It's like, why do you have a lawn at all? And the idea of uh, of planting and growing your your own foods, I know it takes time. And so that sometimes is, is difficult because you do have to tend it. You can't just put seeds in or little plants in and then they just grow. At least you can't do it here in New Orleans because the weeds would take sure, yeah. over. It's so hot and warm and, and rainy yeah. that you really have to sort of keep everything at bay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but talk to me a little bit about how you feel about lawns. I this have is that kinship, you know. <laughs> Thank you for picking up on that. Yeah, we moved into this house about five years ago, I think now, and uh, and you know, it's not a massive amount of space outside, but there was space outside, and and to me, as a Ukrainian woman, was just the biggest gift of all because we grew up with a with a vegetable patch we, mm-hmm. we don't really maybe now you know like anywhere in the world people have lawns and whatever but not really that much especially not in the countryside would always use every kind of bit of land to grow something it doesn't have to be food like my grandmother wherever she didn't have vegetables or currant bushes or or fruit trees or whatever she would have flowers because she you know Ukrainians are quite obsessed with our flowers that the yards look really beautiful always so when we moved here there was a little bit of lawn there and I just said okay this has to go straight away I mean I find them extremely useless and really boring to look at uh-huh. um, yes. and also you know in our day and age with the, the climate uh, situation and we, and the biodiversity which is plummeting you know we need we need we need diverse plants we need to encourage all of the pollinators etc so i said off with the lawn and let's um let's put some vegetables in so my husband put some little wooden borders in and i started growing and um you know what i've so it's been about four yeah almost five years that i've been doing this and i just figured out the right plants to put in <laughs> so don't actually have to do that much and in, in london in london it does work i've put so this august actually in, in this spring because the war started in ukraine i i missed the opportunity to put the seeds in and it was you know it was a really difficult time 
So I've just put some sunflowers in, which <laughs> which brightened up the summer. But then in August, I've put in small organic plants, little, little baby plants that I bought online, uh-huh. some cabbages, some Brussels sprouts, kale, chard, um, some herbs, things that really grow themselves. And also I took a bunch of uh, wildflower seeds and I just scattered them around very kind of in a very chaotic manner. And um, today, kind of like just, nature. Yes. Yeah. When I came out into the garden today and my heart just went, oh, you know, it it looks beautiful. It looks a little bit wild. It looks, you know, all of these cabbages and kales are huge. Uh, but the but the wildflowers are flowering in now in, in almost November. And it's and it's looking wonderful. And it's yeah, it's just making me so happy and uh, makes me feel closer to Ukraine. Uh, yes. That must be very hard. I uh, I have nothing but sympathy. It's really a horrible, horrible situation there. Thank you. So one of the recipes I want to talk to you about is your pumpkin stuffed with dried fruit and rice. I really loved this. Um, I I love cooking squashes and pumpkins. And it never occurred to me to stuff it with fruit. And I love the idea that you're stuffing it with rice. I think that's great because it just absorbs the flavor and everything. But pumpkins and and mostly winter squashes have such a sweetness to them already that the idea of putting dried fruit in there is just brilliant. So is that traditional or is that something that you made up? Mm, That recipe in particular was um, uh, inspired by uh, Azerbaijani cuisine. In my dad's family, the Ukrainians, one one, his Ukrainian uncle married to an Armenian woman, and they lived in Azerbaijan, actually, until the late 1980s. And my dad lived in Azerbaijan for a little bit. It's a country near Iran, so Mm -hmm. you'd have all of that kind of influences the dried fruit the rice the saffron Mm -hmm. and um yeah and they do something like that um some meat would probably feature there as well traditionally but I just wanted to my my husband is vegetarian so I thought I'll create a vegetarian version and I actually that pumpkin that you see in the book I grew it (laughs) but but not not on purpose I kind of just we had this really nice organic pumpkin and I had some seeds and I just kind of just threw the seeds without drying them, without anything, just, I don't know, to feed the birds or something, you know, I just kind of like threw them into the ground where my allotment was. And then this great big pumpkin plant just came out the next <laughs> year. And this pumpkin was there and I just thought, oh, what shall I do with it? And I and I flicked through my, um, yeah, Azerbaijani cookbooks and I saw this rice and meat and dried fruit filled pumpkin. I just thought, oh, okay, I'll, I will make um my own kind of version and um and I made it and really loved it I mean there's rice there's brown rice I prefer brown rice to white uh there's a little bit of dried fruit but but not too sweet I prefer things like sour cherries or cranberries Mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of that acidity as well to balance with the sweetness of the pumpkin Mm -hmm. there's clarified butter or ghee Um, there's a little bit of saffron and yeah it's just one of those things and also it's a little bit retro and kind of fun Uh I don't know like stuffing a whole pumpkin and then taking it to the table I'm I'm quite a big fan of those kind of you know slightly retro looking dishes and uh, I think it's a really nice one to do when you have people coming over and then you can kind of just 
break into that pumpkin and uh yeah and distribute it among everyone and it's just like a fun one to do well it reminded me too of of my grandmother again um because the sicilians use a lot of dried fruit in fish dishes with nuts and and no that's that's probably an arab influence for some point at which the arabs um ran sicily um but the that that whole idea um i just i just thought it was really fun and i i i'm with you i love the way it looks it just has a (laughs) wonderful wonderful look i also love your lentil soup that's another favorite of mine is lentils and so and your approach to lentil soup is different than what I grew up with. And so I love seeing a different way to look at lentils. It just kind of opens your, your, um, your mind and your experience because it's, it's different. I also love that you have so many dessert recipes. (laughs) I have a little bit of a sweet tooth. (laughs) And I, I, I think that, but they're fun. I mean, they're not, they're not, boring you know doing the same kind of dessert again and i i just think that's that's a that's a nice a nice touch and using spices in the in the desserts in ways that aren't just the cinnamon kind of traditional english kind of sweet spices but using mm-hmm. other spices in there i think that that is that's just really important just the idea of mixing it up a little bit. I, I think that's really great. I'm, I'm really, really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the book. I liked the rhubarb crumble cake. I just thought that was so much fun where you could just cut it up and give people a piece of it. I just thought that was just terrific. Um, so I wanted you to know just how much, how much the, the reading it, the, uh, the stories and, it's also, I think, really true that um, stories of migration, sometimes they're very terrible stories because people suffer such hardships. But ultimately, when people get somewhere and they settle, the story is the same of the missing home and your culture and yet becoming involved in the new place and wanting to have some acceptance and uh, and I, I, I always find that to be affirming that we all have these experiences and always food is such a big part of them because food is probably the only thing that you can bring with you in your head that it's like, okay, I can reproduce this in some fashion in this new place. And it's a little taste of home. It's not home, but it's a taste of home. And yeah. I just think food always centers a lot in, in migration stories. And that just seems to be the same. I, I have a, a new book out this year. It came out earlier in the year and it it's telling my grandmother's stories about becoming a person in this huge Sicilian community in New Orleans. And then the generations that came later. And sometimes I'll give a talk and you'll have people in the audience 
who came from all kinds of different places, but they'll say, that was my story, or that was my father's or mother's story or whatever. And you just see that it's the same story all the time. And it just reminds us, it reminds me about how much alike we all really are. And we're, we're different, but we're alike at the same time. And if you can just hold on to the alike part of it, then we can, we can just hope. Hope exactly, exactly. What's the name of your book? The book is called Nana's Creole Italian Table. I love it. So, so we call the Sicilian influence in New Orleans Creole Italian. And my mother, I mean, my grandmother came at a time when this identification as Sicily was still implanted in her brain. And you couldn't yeah. call her Italian, you had to call her Sicilian. Sure. And, um, I, I don't know that that is still as important as it was at that time, but there were, you know, there, there were lots and lots of influences um, in New Orleans and New Orleans food, because this happened boom, roughly 1885 to 1915, sort of oh, oh, the turn of the 20th into the 20th century. And so now it's been a hundred years. And so it's kind of influence is established and yeah. a lot of it, people don't even know it's Italian or Sicilian because uh, it just is so ubiquitous that nobody even thinks about it anymore. And so I thought, well, I've got to tell the story for my children and grandchildren. And so that's what prompted that, that book. But when I talk about it, it's it, then you just know that everybody has experienced has experienced it and you have experienced it more than once you've moved more than once that has got to be a, a really jarring uh kind of uprooting and then starting all over again so are you are you feeling um sort of well rooted now yeah yeah, I think so. Well rooted in quite a few cultures, I think, which is uh -huh. quite a nice thing. And it does take time. Uh, and it was hard. Uh, I won't pretend that it wasn't hard, especially as a 12 year old leaving Ukraine and just coming into a completely new culture and new land. Uh, there were some really tough bits there. Uh, but I also really enjoyed my journey. Um, I I loved it. I I really enjoyed learning new languages. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed learning about new cultures, and um, yeah, and I felt really lucky to have been able to integrate rather than assimilate. You know, it wasn't that I had to completely abandon my Ukrainian culture and just become British or become Cypriot or anything like that. I always kept my roots, my Ukrainian roots, close to my heart and my soul. And I feel like I have, uh, you know, not one home, but at least two. Well, that's really wonderful that that you can feel that way, and just expands your world. Yes, that's very nice, and certainly it has expanded your table, um, <laughs> <laughs> and learning new techniques and and all of that. I love that you've got family pictures in the book and. Um, I think what you've done is left something very special for for your children and grandchildren um, that one day when they're reading it, they'll uh, they'll they'll understand. 
So one more thing that I wanted to just point out that I think is uh, really is wonderful is the section at the very end where you talk about just kind of pantry things. And uh -huh. I loved your green tops paste. Um, I, I think, oh, yes, because my grandmother used to do that. She, she had things all over in water, growing little new tops and everything. And then if you, uh, if you pulled uh, up carrots or radishes or any, anything like that, um, turnips, you, especially when they were little and new, all of those greens went into something. Now she would probably expand it and throw in some basil and other things to kind of yeah. give it a little seasoning, tons of garlic. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's yes, nice because it's fresh and, and it's, it doesn't waste anything. Exactly. And now, you know, that the times are kind of, you know, becoming quite, quite a, a bit harder for a lot of people. I think we really need to rethink how we think about food and, what we keep and and what we throw away and the the least the, the less we throw away the better for for everyone and for us as well and i know sometimes you're just like oh my gosh oh yeah you know so many tops from these radishes but actually <laughs> yeah like making that paste in the book it's it's so it's such a nice recipe you've got some nuts you've got some greens tons of garlic you know a little bit of something sour you blitz it up and you've got this really fantastic pesto that right. you you can use uh yeah in, in so many ways in so many ways yes i i think that that's uh it's wonderful and even if you if you have to freeze it or something because you have so I, much of it you can't eat it up <laughs> well just do that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i think the hardest thing for me sometimes is it's just like I just don't want to do it. I don't want to face it. I don't want to go in there because sometimes I love going in there. And then sometimes it's just like, no, I want to do this other thing right now. You yeah. know? And then, you know, you can't, you can't wait anymore because if you do, it'll spoil or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for this book. It's really, really a gift. And um, uh, I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Such a wonderful interview. Thank you. Okay. And I really do mean it. Thank you very oh. much. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. And I'm sorry about the mix up in the morning, you know. No. No, 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 it's all good. Yeah, no, and thank you. I really enjoyed our chat. I hope that uh, we can keep in touch. It's Are you in New Orleans? I am in New Orleans. and um, My dream to go. I've never been. Please let me know I, if you come. I will because, be. Because um, I want to take you around the museum, the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, and um, just kind of uh, maybe even cook with you. So we'll figure, I, we'll figure it out. Would love. Thank you so much, Liz. And thank you okay. for your support. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.